time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Hey, it's Friday. Aren't you glad? And you're either driving to work or in the middle of your day, or maybe you've caught this on the, on the ride, the commute home, and you just want some good news. Let me tell you something. We've got some good news in the Vintage Truth Podcast today. We're talking about, is it possible to lose your salvation? And what does the Bible really say? Losing your religion, part two. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, three quick things. First of all, have you, if you have not subscribed to my newsletter, then you need to do that right now. Because about once a month, I send an email newsletter. And many times it's me on video talking or whatever. But uh, it gives you updates and tells you what's going on in my ministry, but also some really cool resources for you. Uh, tells you about some book discounts, even free books that I give away, that type of thing. And just go to jeffkinley.com and look on the right-hand side of the column. Scroll down, you'll see something about Jeff. And then there's, hey, let's connect on Facebook. And then right below that, it says subscribe to my newsletter. And I want you to be a part of that because I want to be in touch with you. And we have dialogue back and forth. It's not just a thing where I send stuff out to people. People actually write me back. And I I write back every person uh, who sends me uh, an encouraging word or, or has a question or that type of thing. So I encourage you to do that. Secondly, next week is Prophecy Week, the Vintage Truth Podcast. Uh, one week a month, we focus in on Bible prophecy. And next week, we're going to talk about the rapture and this whole idea of Jesus coming back to rescue his bride before unleashing unimaginable wrath on planet Earth during a period called the Tribulation Period that we see in Revelation and in Daniel. Is the rapture a real thing? I mean, is the, is the rapture, is it, is it a holy hoax or is it a future hope? And I want to talk about some of the arguments against the rapture. And then from Scripture, we're going to look at what the rapture really is. Where, this, where does this rapture come from? Anyway? What is the word rapture? It's not even in the Bible. So where do you get this whole idea about the rapture? That's Prophecy Week next week. Talk about the rapture. Then one final thing, real quick, is that some of you guys have been... Um, writing me. You've been talking to me about the ministry and what the needs of ministry are. We have a lot of needs. They're not massive needs financially, but there are financial needs for our ministry. And I'm encouraging folks to be committed uh, to my ministry. And if this is ministering to you in some way, then I would challenge you to be willing to support our ministry for $20 a month or more, whatever it is you would like to do. Or maybe you'd like to send a one-time gift. It doesn't matter. But it really does help. Trust me, it helps a lot to help this ministry stay afloat. Just go to jeffkinley.com. There's a donate tab there if you'd like to do that. So pray about that. Hey, let's get into our study today. We're talking about can you lose your salvation? And last time we talked about the number one reason why you cannot lose your salvation after covering some difficult passages that people talk about. Hey, this proves you can lose your salvation, man. We dealt with those. But the number one reason is the all-sufficient death of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that made payment, that made propitiation, atonement for our sins. And that was the number one reason. We looked at all kinds of scripture about that. That's number one. There's four of these reasons as to why you can't lose your salvation. So that's reason number one. We talked about that last time. Reason number two is the fulfillment of the Father's work in you. So we have the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. Now the fulfillment of the Father's work in you. say, where do you get that from? Well, in Philippians chapter one, verse six, Paul wrote this. He said, for I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So what is Paul saying there? 
Well, first of all, he's saying that salvation is from God, that God's in charge of salvation. He gives it. And then secondly, he says that if God began salvation, then he's going to complete it in you. In other words, God has made a commitment to you. And God's commitment to us is not based upon us. It's based on him. Like everything else great about God, it comes from him. I mean, God doesn't love us because we love him. In fact, the opposite is, is, is true. First John 4 says, we love because he first loved us. You know, we didn't seek God. We didn't come running after God. Our, our greatest skill as non-Christians was to run from God. That's what the sin nature does best. But God came running after us. God found you, didn't he? He wooed you. He romanced you. He slapped you across the face and got your attention, didn't he? God came after you. You see, God made a commitment to you before you made a commitment to him. And the Bible says that if he began a work in you, that he, not might, not maybe, not could, but will perfect that work in you all the way up until the day that Jesus Christ returns. And so that is a huge reason why our salvation is secure, that the Father has made a commitment to us. Let me give you a third reason. We can have assurance of, of our eternal security because of the hope of the Spirit's promise to us. The hope of the Spirit's promise to us. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14, this is what uh, Paul says. He says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, he says, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, what do we know about this Holy Spirit? Well, look at the next verse. We find out. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. You say, Jeff, what does it mean to be sealed by the Holy Spirit? Well, in Paul's day, and during the first century, in the, during the time of the Roman Empire, a seal on a document represented three things. You'll remember that they placed a Roman seal on the tomb of Jesus Christ. Remember that? And what did that mean? Well, it meant the same thing that it meant when they would place a, an official seal on a, on a document that was being delivered by a courier, something coming from the government to someone. And the seal basically meant three things. It meant protection, possession, and authenticity. Protection, possession, and authenticity. In other words, that seal meant that the contents of that document, that scroll, was protected by the Roman government. That's what it meant. So if you break that seal and you're not authorized to do that, guess who you're going to answer to? You're going to answer to the Roman government. So it was a protection. The second thing was is that it meant possession or, or ownership. In other words, it meant that the contents of that document, that package, whatever it was, was belonged to the, the sender, 
the Roman government, the official who sent that package. So there was a sense of ownership there of the contents that was under that seal. And then thirdly, there was authenticity. You couldn't just, you know, forge that seal. I mean, it's like a, you know, it's not counterfeit money today that, you know, relatively easy for a non-trained person to spot. But it was, it was a very authentic seal, had the image of the emperor on that seal. So possession, excuse me, protection, possession, and authenticity. You say, okay, so what does that mean? Well, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit at salvation. What does that mean? Well, it means that we belong to him. We're protected by him. We're sealed by him. We're protected. Secondly, we're owned by him. We are his possession. We belong to Christ. We belong to the Holy Spirit. We belong to the Father. First Corinthians 6 says, You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. And then thirdly, there's a promise involved. There's that authenticity where God says, this, this guy, this gal is the real deal. I promise you, what's inside this document is official. It's official. Hey, if you've been saved, you're official. You're bona fide. You're true. You're the real deal. Why? Because of what the Holy Spirit did to you at salvation. He sealed you. And he's working in concert and cooperation with the Father to carry you all the way to the end. All the way to your death or all the way to the time when Jesus Christ returns. And that could be very soon. Talking about the rapture next week, by the way, Prophecy Week. So we have the hope of the Spirit's promise to us. We have the fulfillment of the Father's work in us. We have the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And then fourth and finally, we have the eternal plan of God before us. When I say before, I mean before in time. You see, something happened regarding your salvation before you were born. Something you had no choice over, something that you you didn't participate in at that time. God saw you from a distance in time, and he set his heart of love on you, and he chose you. You see, your salvation is not something that just kind of was an afterthought or something. You know, you, you decided to come to Jesus, and God's like, oh, oh wait, 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 someone down there wants me? Okay, I'll take him. No, that's not how that works. God sought us, as we said a minute ago. God sought you in time, but he chose you before time. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Verse 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Now, I want to tell you right now, if you contemplate the idea, the concept, the truth, that God chose you somewhere back in eternity past, and that thought doesn't rock your brain, then you're not really thinking about that truth. That truth should disturb you. It should bother you. It should cause you to dive in the scriptures. But more than anything else, 
It should humble you and assure you. It should give you a sense of security, knowing that God in his own infinite, all-powerful, all-loving heart, it says in love, in love he predestined us. He chose us in love. Listen to what Romans 8 says. This verse is 29 through 30. It says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, those he called, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. That brings in that thought a few minutes ago, Philippians 1, 6, that he began to get work in us. He's going to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. But it says every person he predestines ends up being glorified in heaven. There are, no, there are breaks in that chain there, by the way. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. The end, whoop, case closed. And then he goes on to say in the very same chapter, he says, so who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? Anybody? Anybody got any, any ideas? Someone says, all right, what about uh, tribulation or distress? Nope. Paul says persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, the sword. For just as it is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We're considered like sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, if there, become, if there comes a Christian holocaust, God's still going to get you there. He says, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, that's the demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. And by the way, everything is created that's not God. Okay? So he's, he's saying this. He's saying anything that's not God can't separate us from the love of Christ. In other words, there's nothing out there. Who can separate you from God's salvific love for you? That saving love for you. And, you know, you could just fill in the blank. Name anything. Anything that you can name is something that has been created, that, that has come to pass in time. Anything outside of those things that have been created in time, whether well, it's just God, that's it. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. So if nothing that has been created, including sin, if none of these things can separate us from God's saving love as believers, and God himself has said that he will not separate us from his love, from his salvation, then what are you worried about? What are you worried about? What's, what's all the anxiety about? Why do you doubt? You see, our confidence in the word it's what assures us of our salvation, number one. It's only after that that we begin to see our own lives. You can't, you can't totally look at your life and determine whether or not you think you're saved. I mean, you can see kind of the general pattern of your life and go, okay, well, that's, you know, I'm, I'm acting like a saved person, generally speaking. But take a snapshot out of your life. Take a scene out of the movie of your life and make that what you get judged on, whether or not you're going to heaven. Wow, I don't want that to happen to me. Do you? Of course not. You see, salvation is not determined by what you do after salvation. It's determined by what happens to you during salvation. And then that determines what you do after salvation. 
And you and I, we can fall, we can stumble, we can blunder, we can blow it, we can go through seasons of sin. All these things are learning seasons for us. They're, they're times that we grow and mature as believers. But it doesn't kill us. It doesn't make us unsaved. See, it doesn't matter what happens to us. It only matters who happened to us in the beginning. See, Jesus said in John 10, I love this passage. It's so beautiful. He's talking about earlier about being a shepherd. Look what he says in verse um, 27, John 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I give, listen to this. I give eternal life to them. Wow. And they shall never perish. You talk about authoritative teaching, authoritative words. My friends, that's some vintage truth right there. Jesus says, hey, how dare you say that you'll lose your salvation? I give eternal life to them. You don't give eternal life to yourself. It comes from me. And you will never perish. Listen to this. He says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, you're a part of his hand. Nobody's going to snatch you out of his hand because he has a grip on you. It's like when, when my boys were little and we would go walk hand in hand. They were like two and three years old and we'd get near the street. Right when we got to the curb, my grip tightened on them because I knew they were going to step off that curb and maybe stumble or fall or they could you know, see a puppy across the street and go running after it or whatever. Guess what? Even sometimes they would trip and fall and, and they would let go. But guess who didn't let go? Dad never let go. Why? Because my grip on them was always stronger than their grip on me. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, I got you. I got you. I heard an incredible story several years ago where there was a debate between an old preacher in town, a man who was on the verge of retirement, and a young seminary graduate who was coming into to town to, to take uh, the pastoral leadership of a church. And so he challenged the pastor to a debate. The old pastor believed in eternal security. He believed that you could not lose your salvation. And so he challenged him to a debate and this kid really thought he was just going to clean this old man's clock. So anyway, he boasted that he could prove that no Christian could ever be sure of his salvation. So the old pastor said, you know what? I'm not really a debater, but the local townsfolk said, hey, come on, pastor, you can do this. So he finally agreed. So the date was set. Community auditorium was packed. People wanted to know what this new guy would say and how the old guy would answer it. Whole town really came. Standing room only. And so as they gathered there, the young theologian began his argument he was highly organized and passionate in his presentation. He presented his case with eloquence and with charts and with great effect. And he sat down after his presentation with a smirk on his face, confident that he had just slam dunked this debate. And so there was kind of a hush from the crowd. You know, they, they really, people started to feel embarrassed for the old pastor. After all, he was simple, not profound like the young guy. And how is he going to compete with all these things, right? So, after a moment, the old man got up from his chair and slowly made his way to the platform. He opened his Bible, and he simply said this. He said, my text today is from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, and verse 3. And then he read these verses. He said, for you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And with that, he motioned toward the back of the auditorium, and three men came forward, each carrying a barrel in their arms. 
and on the there was a large barrel, and on the large barrel was written the word God. Then there was a medium-sized barrel, and on that barrel was written the word Christ. And then there was a smaller barrel, about the size of a jug of milk. And this barrel, on it was written the word me. And then the old pastor then instructed the men to place the small barrel, the one with me written on it, inside the medium-sized barrel that had Christ written on it, and then place them both inside the large barrel with God written on it. And then he said, now nail the lid shut, which they, they did. After they did this, the old man simply said, my text again today is Colossians 3, 3, for you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Then he said this, he turned to the audience and he said, I challenge anyone in this room to destroy that small barrel inside without first destroying both the medium and the large size barrel. And then he sat down. At first, people didn't know what to say. There was silence. Then one person began to clap, and then another, and then soon the entire auditorium was applauding, standing to their feet in an ovation for the aged pastor as the young theologian slithered out the back door. My friend, your salvation didn't begin with you, and your salvation isn't up to you. When you believed on Jesus Christ, you were sealed in him for the day of redemption. Jesus' sacrifice is enough for you. God's promise to complete what he began in you is all that you need to have your security and your assurance of salvation rock solid and air tight. God's eternal plan brought you to salvation and his eternal plan will see you home. So the next time you lose your grip on God, the next time you feel like you're weak, you can't stand it, hey, just remember, he's got you. He's got you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to talk more about some incredible things about prophecy and specifically the rapture on Monday, Prophecy Week on the Vintage Truth Podcast. Hope to see you then. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.